So today we're going to explore the boundary between tactics and strategy. It should hopefully be relevant as we move through our careers in HR. Let's discover how. And here we are on the HR Hub podcast with me, Andrea Adams. Keep listening to learn about this topic and all kinds of things related to HR. You can also find me on YouTube. So today my guest is Brittany Eisenman. Brittany is the founding principal of Stoke Fire. She has one of the most unusual backgrounds uh, of an HR practitioner that I've really seen to date. I mean, I know they're out there, uh, but it does give her a fairly original perspective. She started out in social work and has ended up advising CEOs on business strategy. Hi, Brittany. How are you? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks, Andrea. Well, thank you for coming. Okay. So it's such a strange transition, a career transition. I feel like that's where I have to start. So brief. How did you go from being a social worker to OD? Yeah, I spent about a decade, uh, started out working with teen moms, quickly became obsessed with that demographic. I still love talking with teen moms and talking to women that were teen moms. Uh, there's, it's so interesting. If, if you're going to be a good mom, it doesn't matter if, whether you become a mom at 13 or 43, you're going to be a great mom. Uh, but then I, I moved on. I was working with homes that were bringing in children that were in the foster care system. And then I switched and I was working in mental health. As I was getting pushed up toward leadership positions, I didn't know really that I was doing this, but I was gaining a knack for bringing back programs that had crumbled and that were uh, not hitting the mark, like failing regulation, you know, state regulation or health code, whatever it was. And I was able to get systems to a point where we were exactly hitting what the regulation was, but also then finding where we can best serve the population that we're serving using these systems of the things that we have to do. And then um, I was at the same time while rebuilding these programs, I was building super cohesive teams. And to me, it just felt like I was just building what I had wanted when I wasn't the leader of a team, you know, just uh, supporting each other finding out like the really weird thing about your coworker that actually really makes them really good at this thing and highlighting that so that we all know how to appreciate each other um, and how our differences make parts of a whole. I At some point, I decided that as people, it's a good thing in our work lives if we're very sharp edged as far as our skills. We're very good at the thing that we do. But when we fit together as a team, that team should be a whole with rounded edges can pivot and hit, you know, kind of take hits or be able to respond well, because we're each really good at the things that we're good at. And a lot of times those strengths are totally outside of our roles, have nothing to do with the job that we were hired in to do. It's strengths that we allow our clients and our team to borrow from me. So I realized I was um, putting this together, really enjoying putting structure to it. I think I was able to thrive so much and maybe um, get seen so much because most social workers aren't really like that. Uh, social workers are all heart. They're really kind. Um, they will kill themselves for you to get you the right resources or to get you to the right places. And, um, while I was trying to do that, uh, I, I just had this natural structure building part to me that I had didn't know was there, but just was using because it was a natural part of me. So I kept getting pushed up further into leadership. And then people like regulators started noticing what I was doing. And I would get asked to consult with other 
programs and organizations that were doing the same types of things um, as what I was helping restructure or rebuild. And I was doing, I think I did all of that for free, but I was going to different programs and helping them, whether they're getting started or something happened. Uh, and that actually ended up pulling me even international. Uh, it, I ended up in Ukraine. There was this little social services organization. It was owned by someone in Canada, but he wanted to make sure that their programs were effective, not just like culturally appropriate and meeting the immediate need that was obvious, but that ongoing and sustainable because their services were effective. But just kind of existing where I was in the field where I was, using skills or internal strengths kind of helped me develop really quickly into what I was good at. And then I realized, you know, I need to be doing this. I need to be helping organizations that have great missions get to the place where they're able to use their really sharply skilled people for teams that are super effective. So I pivoted into consulting, essentially started charging for my services, got a master's degree while I was at it, and realized a really good place to kind of hone that is to become a partner to HR departments and focus on employee engagement, retention, employee experience. Because when we're really good at that base stuff, so many things can grow out of who we are and what we want to do in the world that we couldn't have imagined. When I initially talked about strat uh, tactics, it made you think about strategy. Why? Yeah, I think I see this because I can get stuck doing this. So I really care, like I hyper-focus on it in my own life and I see it in HR professionals around me and I want to help them not get stuck there either. But uh, there are so few executives that understand really what HR does. And of that pool of executives that understand HR's role, even fewer of them understand how sharp HR professionals have to be, how much of a skill set it really is, like any other skill set. In HR, we can tend to get, we're busy. We have way too much on our plates at all times. And part of it is a problem that executives don't understand what we do. That, that's part of the problem, but it's not the whole problem. But we can tend to perpetuate this, like, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. I am doing, doing, doing. And when we message that out, that's what executives hear, and they don't see us as anything other than just implementing the thing that they threw at us or implementing the thing that the law says we have to do or regulation says that we have to do. It's dangerous because we can get stuck just doing tactics, the, the rote business of HR, and not keep our heads up and watch whether the initiatives we're pushing out or helping to develop and push out are actually aligned with where the organization is going. There are so many good things that we can do that implemented in our company at this time in this way will actually pull us away from our mission. And HR is closest to the people that are doing the real work. So we're the ones that have the lens into developing strategy, not just doing the next thing that's on our plate. But a lot of the responsibility for even seeing ourselves that way is on us, pulling our heads up out of the weeds and looking at what's coming down the pipeline and measuring, is this actually aligned with where the company's going? So there was something in there you said it was about uh, pulling our heads up out of the weeds and watching uh, for the bigger picture 
I can think of a million times when I just got totally immersed in the tactics and didn't give a second's thought to any strategy around that tactic. How do we, how do you notice, how should we notice when we are too far in the weeds, when we haven't come up for a breath, how should we manage ourselves in that way? I think I'd like to start with a story of something I saw because it just hit me last year as such a tell. So there was an, a small organization had long-term employees, like 40 years plus. Most of their employees were at this level. They had never had an HR person, pulled one in, and uh, it was a young person. He didn't have a ton of experience in a small organization like this. He'd done HR inside of a bigger organization, so I had very narrow scope. So all of a sudden, he has all of these things on his plate. It feels very important because he's the first one. And the person before him, like things were fine. So they didn't develop a lot of specific HR processes. So he knew, well, we should probably have some kind of employee engagement program, right? It didn't exist at this company. However, people also weren't leaving, but he didn't think about that. He just thought, okay, next thing, employee engagement program, let's get one rolling. So he goes to his local SHRM chapter and he brought home this idea which was to give people praises on like a special wall where you put like special paper and then everyone gets like a little block. And like every time you get some kind of public praise, you get a little block. Okay. These are like 60 year old men who have been fine not getting a piece of paper praise that everyone sees in the hallway as they walk into work every day. And it was just such a screaming example. He wasn't paying me, so I didn't say anything about it. Maybe I should have. But I was like, I, I that could do the literal opposite of what you're trying to do. That idea that was brought, you know, to all these HR professionals was a good idea. But the person that presented it, it worked so well because he was in an organization where there had been an employee engagement problem and there'd been no public praise and the employees didn't feel valued. Clearly, those are not the same challenges that exist in this little organization. And so when we stay down, we're like, okay, next thing, play engagement program. All right, okay, I'll grab this one. That was really successful for them, so I'm going to plug it in here. It can be dangerous, and we can actually end up pulling us backwards. So what he was at risk of doing was ticking off people that were perfectly happy before, annoying them, and making them look at their competitors who were literally feet outside of the door that they could easily transition to, but just had chosen not to for 40 years. That's the risk. When we're all tactics, you know, we tend to not think, how is this connected to the other thing, to the other thing? How does this fit my company right now? And I'm not sure that this question is worth asking, but I feel like I need to just because I need to. What's the difference? How do you see the difference between tactics and strategy? Uh, it starts with awareness. We can be a tactician, also be aware of what else is going on. But when we say, I'm just going to stay in my lane and that doesn't apply to me, then we're choosing not to use our awareness for the better of the company. Strategy starts with knowing what else is happening. It doesn't have to just be on the executive level because sometimes you just don't have a, ta- a seat at the table at the executive level. But understanding Here's where the company is today. These are our organizational values. Here's our mission. 
here's where our vision plan says we want to be in five years. And then looking at all the initiatives that you currently have and the ones that you're rolling out, or if that takes too much time, just think about, okay, in the next quarter, what are we rolling out? Why does this matter? How does it help us get to the mission? And if it doesn't, why the heck are we doing this? What's going on? Who's pushing for it? Who's pulling for it? Is it part of regulation? Is it part of something else? But just essentially sifting through all of this stuff, all of your tactical stuff, and most of it sounds great, but using a lens of where are we headed? Who are we? Is this actually a need or does this just sound good because I'm in HR and everybody in HR talks about this thing, so I should do it in my company too. So when we start pulling our heads out of the weeds that we get out of, we start looking around and we want to be more strategic, where should we start? If you haven't done any of this work, lateral is not a bad place to start. Just the departments straight across from you, the departments that you partner with, are you siloed from them? Are they siloed from each other? If so, that means you are blocked off from information and you can't build strategy without information. So breaking down silos, which might literally just mean walking into their office every single day and starting to develop a relationship with the head of that department. But essentially breaking the blockage that you have from being able to see what they're doing. If you can't see what they're doing, you can't see how your initiative impacts them until they're already ticked off and coming to you. Because the person at the bottom of the department got annoyed and it worked all the way up to them. And now everyone's heated and coming towards you. So lateral is a good place so that you can start seeing across the company what's going on and where we're doing a great job pulling toward our mission and where there are some challenges that maybe you can help with, maybe not. Maybe you're just a supporter. But then also pushing up, this one takes strategy in and of itself. If you as HR don't already have a seat at the table, that always means that the people at the table don't see the reason that you should be there. And it's possible that you kept them in that belief because you're over here saying, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. What do you need from me? I have all these things to do. I don't have time for X, Y, or Z. It's possible that you did that. If so, you need to start changing and start showing them that you understand that you have all of this access to information, qualitative and quantitative about the people, and you can use that to help them as they're deciding where are we really headed in the next five years? What's feasible? Where do we actually want to go? So you have to start connecting the data that you have, what you have access to, to how that betters the strategy. If you're walking to the executive team saying, our turnover went from 27% to 40%. That means nothing to them. Those are literally just numbers. A, they have no idea if that's good or bad. But B, you're not connecting it to anything that they care about. What are the things that they care about? Is it revenue? Is it some other goal that we have right now? You, When you start connecting your data to the things that executives care about, which is going to be impacting the future of the company, then they start seeing you as helpful. And then you can start getting access to their group and you can start walking toward being part of the strategic process 
yourself and not just a recipient of seven things that have to be done. You talked a little bit there about data and uh, some of us are getting better at it. You know, um, people analytics was a long pause, but my brain was like, (laughs) Um, people analytics, some of us don't have that really yet. I mean, I've worked for organizations where you can't even get proper turnover metrics out of their uh, HRIS. So what is the role of data, like real data, or can we draw upon other things? Yeah. Uh, you know, I see HR professionals, even if they have the tech that can get them real-time data, are still going on their gut, which is it's they're making their life harder for down the line. But you're right. Not every organization has access to internal data. They absolutely should. They don't all. You know, some of it, it's digital readiness. Some of it is they don't have the cash to be able to gather accurate data. And most industries have benchmarking somehow, some kind of association or something, whether it's regional, national, whatever it is, that you can at least see what the trend is. And sometimes you can really narrow that down depending on how big your industry is, but you can really narrow it down, like maybe even to county, you know, how are most going in my county? So if you absolutely, you, you're walking into an organization, they have nothing. And all of a sudden you're in charge of the HR. Before you build anything, you can quickly find benchmarking anywhere you can. Your organization is probably going to be a member of some kind of association where you can get access to that, or they will be able to point you to where you can get that information. But yeah, start where you are. I, I, If you come in and there's no data and you're building it from zero, you're not going to have excellent data the first two years. But start where you are, find out what looks like the scariest thing that's going on you know, per the HR world, or even above that, more towards strategy, and start building ways to capture that information as objectively as you can. But as you start building, you'll get better and better at it, but it's not going to come right away. Somewhere along the line, actually more than once, you said, don't wait for them to come give you a list of seven things to do that task. You have to find out what, you have to see the bigger picture. How how do you go about well you talked about talking Uh, is there anything else that you would add to the list of things to understand uh what matters in an organization like truly matters is more than like words on a piece of paper because mission vision values sometimes are just words on a piece of paper yeah yeah the uh, lowest entry point for starting to figure this out is to look for the overlap of two things the messaging that's going out and the behaviors. So is what they're saying, whether that's internally to employees or you know externally out to the public, is what they're saying lining up with what they're doing? If not, then you've hit on something. Something's going on. There's some reason that the behavior and what they're saying is different And if you keep looking at that, you'll probably be able to figure out pretty closely what's going on. And if you're great at conversation, you'll be able to ask them questions and identify why that's happening. So I'll give you a story. I have a friend that is- Thank you. (laughs) I was going to ask you, can you give us an example of this? Yeah. I have a friend that's a mental health therapist, has been for uh, more than a decade. 
She works inside of a large uh, health company uh, with a group of therapists. They're supervisors who are therapists themselves, too. So they understand everything that comes with therapy, part of which is it can get heavy. Mm -hmm. And um, as you start to burn out, you start taking on the weights of the people that you're serving. That's one of the risks of being a therapist. So these therapists are getting burnt out because uh, the wave of the pandemic wave hit, you know, hospitals and nurses. And then it hit mental health because loneliness is just as dangerous as diabetes. So they are getting an absolute onslaught still of people needing mental health services uh, two and three times what they were built to handle. So the supervisors say, we support you, we hear you, we want you to stay here. Retention of therapists is, is rough right now for any organization trying to keep mental health therapists. But my friend was in a meeting where there was some new, I think some new initiative was being rolled out, which meant more workload on the therapists. And so my friend said, not confrontationally, but something along the lines of, it's hard to see how our well-being matters in this situation. And this supervisor who historically had been like, I back you, I support you, you know, literally doing things to support that, screamed at my friend in front of the entire group and then disbanded the meeting. So there's words after words after words of, I support you, I support you but not complete actions. So in this moment, there's something going on because the supervisor is behaving differently than they have before. So if we push into that, it may be the supervisor themselves are feeling pressure from someone whose values are not the same as the supervisor and the people. So that supervisor may absolutely care about the well-being of the mental health therapist, but if the person above just cares about money and bottom line, then they're going to be pushing down things that absolutely can harm the well-being. And so all of a sudden that supervisor is caught in the middle, absolutely caring about well-being, but having to implement stuff that harms well-being at the same time. And to keep their job, they have to be able to do that. So I, I don't know if that's what's going on, but that's you know one of the logical things that absolutely could be going on. So when we see that behavior doesn't match messages, then you can see there's something going on there. Often it's some kind of values mismatch or some kind of pressure that is a result of us not always acting within our values as an organization. Hey, who does who should be doing something about that? And and HR. Are. What's <laughs> HR's role? <laughs> yeah. HR can be an influence here, but they you can't change anyone's values. No one can change anyone's values, much less an executive that spent their life getting into the seat where they are. But what we can do, and HR can do this even if they don't have a seat at the table, but they can look at the words and the actions of the people that have a seat at the table, look at the values of the organization, figure out what the actual held values are of the people at the table based on their actions. Once you understand that, where this person is in alignment with their words, actions, and values, then look at the thing that you want them to do or that you think the organization should do 
and look for connection. I love this. We don't have time to talk about it anymore. If someone wants to learn more about just doing this kind of thing, digging into this, where? Where can they go? On LinkedIn, absolutely. Stokefire.com on our blog. We will often talk about different things around um, values and alignment. Okay. What that can look like. Successes that we've had as an organization because we were able to come in, find the alignments, the points of strength and emphasize those or erase generations long problems because we were able to identify why that was a weak point and how to erase it from essentially the organization or what was happening. So Stoke Fires blog or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to chat about it. Well, thanks, Brittany. That gave me so much to think about. In particular, I want to think about that last bit we were talking about there around the values alignment and not giving this cursory attention, like really thinking about it. However, we have reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening out there. We'll catch you next time when I talk with another insightful guest.